just a bloke in a bar. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Bloke in a Bar. Before we get into it, a reminder, November the 16th at 6pm, 50% off everything on the Bloke store. That is right. Go to bloke.shop. We have brand new shirt designs. We got brand new singlet designs. And not only the design on the singlet, but the actual singlet designs. We've got brand new jumpers. We've got so many things that are 50% off. We've got old school jerseys that uh, we've got a few left. We've got DMP shirts, a few of those left. We've got thongs. We've got cooler bags. We've got everything. It is 50% off absolutely everything. 6 p.m. November 16th. Thursday, that is next Thursday, 50% off everything. Be there. Once it's gone, it is gone. You guys know we've only ever done one sale before in the history of bloke. So you know that we don't do these regularly. Be there, 6 p.m. next Thursday. Uh, The last one we did was the biggest sale we ever did. So people love it. Make sure to set your alarms, 6 p.m. next Thursday, November 16th. With that out of the way, I've got the great... Jackson Hastings here. How you going, brother? Hey, brother. Thanks for having me on. It's good to be back. Mate, it is good to be back. The last time we caught up was in a uh, Meriton, um, just oh, around yes. the corner. Yes. Uh, Alexandria. I yeah. don't know if it's called Alexandria, but it's near Alexandria. Um, and that would have been about five or six years ago. Yeah, I think it was um, when I first come back from my first stint in England. I remember you messaged me and... Um you took me to a hotel room. I didn't really know what we were doing, so I uh, thought it was one of those. Uh, thought it was one of those things, but nah, I'm glad we're. I'm glad we're here. I'm glad to be back on, mate. You're doing really well, so it's cool to be a part of it. Hey, mate, you're doing really well. You're doing well, really well, um, mate. I guess how's the year been for you? Like it's a mixed bag. You got the crush behind you, so obviously you're injured. <laughs> But I mean, what an amazing year to be a part of at the night. Yeah, obviously the crutches there. It's, it's all kind of worth it when you have the year that we had. Um, obviously, this time last year, um, I had things come out about me again, sort of the same sort of thing that's happened to me sort of my whole life and um, ended up at the Newcastle Knights and didn't really know what to expect. I knew their roster was fantastic and mm. just wanted to go up there and sort of play my part within that and get – Kale on the ball whenever he could, get gags and Bradman the ball whenever I could. And um, they've got some superstars there too. So obviously we started the year off a bit inconsistent, win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. And then um, we played a game against Pembroke, obviously, at McDonald Jones, where um, it took a very special player to beat us with two clutch field goals. He's done that to a few teams, Nathan. So, I mean, there was no shame in losing like that, especially to Pembroke. And then a couple of weeks later, we went up to Brisbane and then uh, Ezra Mam done one of the freakiest passes I've ever seen to the old fella, Adam Reynolds. And... I remember after that game, we were sitting in the sheds. We were extremely disappointed to lose, obviously. But when you combine those two games against the two best teams in the comp, we realised that we had a squad there together. And we took the sadness and turned that into motivation. And then um, what happened after that was just magical, really. Like, mm. you couldn't have asked for a better end of the year. Obviously, we didn't finish the year the way that we wanted. So, I mean, we don't want to sit here and act like we're stoked. We're coming fifth and getting knocked out in the second semi. But to come from where we started and um, to go on that run and to get the whole town behind us the way they did... Um, yeah, pretty special year and, and great end. Was there a period there at the start of the year where you're going, oh, like not again? Like, I don't want to go through another tough year where you know everyone's at ya, the yeah. headlines are there, you know, things just aren't working. Yeah, I think after the um, Dolphins game in round three or four, I think they put like 38 on us or something like that, and that was a game where we sat in the sheds like a new team, they were flying, but. We just didn't play really well, you know what I mean? We had a chance to win it at stages, but then they blew us off the park. And you could sort of not feel the pressure mounting that early on in the year, but you knew what was going to come with that, um, the expectation that the town had on us. But like, the it's, new- it's actually, sorry to interrupt you, but it's actually funny because that's the same week I was like 
India's a bit. I was like, that last 10 minutes, not good enough. Yeah. They're way better than that. Yeah. You know, anyway, there was quite a few Knights fans that defended your honour. They were like, nah, that's no. And I was like, boys, I promise you, they're way better than that performance they put on. And that last 10 minutes isn't the new Knights that, you know, they can be. Yeah, that was <clears throat> that game. And obviously the para game when we got blew out by, like, that was one of the worst games I've been a part of that. I think we were down 20 nil after, like, 10 minutes, still Brown. And Gutho put on an absolute clinic that day. But those were the only two games all year that I felt like we're not in this. Mm. You know what I mean? We're never really in it. But apart from that, I was pretty happy with how consistent we were all year. It's a, it's a credit to our coaching staff and our performance staff. Like we had a we had a really hard preseason, but a very fair preseason. You know, we didn't just get flogged every single session. Mm. It was very smart with how they trained us. Like they ran us pretty hard, but like they also gave us a lot of time to ease back. And yeah. um, I've got to give a lot of credit to our D coaches, like our defence towards the back of the year. I think we're averaging like one and a half tries against, which is pretty special. Like, I mean, someone like Penrith would be happy with that over the last four years. And then... Uh, Blake Green, our attack coach, like I love Greeny, got to play with him at Manly. Um, he sort of set the footprint for people to go over to England and come back and have a successful footy career. So I've always sort of like idolised him for that. And he's our attack coach of the Knights and he's mm. just fully changed the way that a lot of us have played. And he certainly brought out the best in myself and Tyson Gamble and Phoenix and blokes like this. And then he obviously has helped Kalen take his game to a whole new stratosphere. So it's exciting times, but... We can't just rest on what we did last year, you know what mm. I mean? We can't be happy with a second round exit. We want to finish top four and then we want to go on and compete for a title. So um, mm. although we had a great year, we've got plenty to go and um, mm. pre-season's already started for us, so it's exciting. It's uh, like you look back at – you look. I mean, the Sharks eventually made the eight, but then you look at the Cowboys, you look at the Eels, the yep. Rabbitohs, and you look at that top eight and you go, we can't just expect to roll in this year yeah, and do sure. what we did this year. Like, it was incredible. What a moment. But you don't want to be that team that had that one really good year and yeah. then fall out of the eight the next year. Well, I think the teams you just touched on all were brilliant the year before and they had their moments this year and then all of a sudden um, something went wrong and they didn't end up making the eight. So, I mean, it can happen to, to every team. And that's why you've got to marvel at what Penrith have done, not only to make and win three in a row or be in four grand finals, but they're just consistently first or second. So, mm. I mean, we want to be a club that's gets our town behind us and they're proud of – like we always say, we want the person on the hill that – pays their nine-to-five wage to watch us play, their highlight of the weeks to come watch us on a Saturday or Sunday at McDonald Jones. We want that to be the best day of their, of their week. And mm. by doing that, they just want us to play tough, hard football and be in every single game too. So, I mean, to play for the Knights is is pretty special. You know, we get 25000 on a wet Friday night if we've been losing, whether we've been winning. So, I mean, we just owe it to them to play a tough, gritty brand of football. And mm. um, our head coach definitely instills that in us. And we've certainly got the players there to do that now as well. Did you feel like during this season – because it felt like outside looking in, there was like definitely the ingredients for a solid, good footy side there. Yep. But I felt like you got to it when you did begin to go on that run. It felt like you've almost found an identity as a side. Like it's, it seriously felt like I was watching a Newcastle night side, you know, early 2000s, yeah. late 90s kind of thing. Did it feel like that internally? Did you go back over the history of the Knights and kind of instill it in the jersey for the boys? Yeah, it's funny you say that because Adam O'Brien, our coach, is massive on on the past players and, mm. and um, respecting them and honouring the jersey and the people that have come before us and also laying the foundations for the kids that are coming through and paving the way for the future. So every time we have a jersey presentation, a milestone, a big game, we always get one of the Knights old boys in. You know, I think mm. the Knights old boys are, are the best in the league. I know I'm biased, but... Whenever you um, debut for the Knights, you get a cap, obviously a play number on that, but you're into the old boys and, and you're one of them forever too. So, I mean, they're always at the games. Um, old boys days, one of the biggest days on the Newcastle Knights calendar. So, I mean, 
they're very heavily involved with the club too. They mm -hmm. will always support us. They're never going to publicly bag mm -hmm. us. They'll always defend us. So for us as players, and I know that's a cliche, but you're only a custodian of the jersey. You only hold it for a short period of time. And um, Adam's really big on us honouring that jersey and doing the best you can for it. And when we went on that run, we just stripped it right back. We wanted to be a hard team to break down. We wanted to scramble mm -hmm. for each other. We have an award every week, Nining Shining Armour, which is to someone that comes up with a huge play. It's always a defensive moment. Like mm. we had one against Manly this year. I threw an intercept to Jason Saab and he ran 100 and scored. But Dom Young come from the other side of the field and made sure he put the ball in the corner. And Ruben Garrick actually missed the goal, which kept us up by two. So yeah, well. little plays like that that defined our season. I think we, we played against the Warriors at home. We threw an intercept and Tyson Frizzell had run a lead line just before on the right-hand side of the field. And he actually ran down the far winger. So that just summed up our, our season. And even against the Dogs, when we were up, I think it was 60-0. Um, they had a great play. Burton went to the right-hand side, done a really good play for the corner. And then Lachlan Fitzgibbon come across and put his body on the line and, and, and held the winger up when, you know, he probably could have jogged across. Um, he doesn't move the best fits. He needs some WD-40 in them joints. But... <laughs> He um, flew across and, and held the winger up, even against Souths at home. And the same thing, Fitzy had a play on the far side, come across and had a try saver. So mm. we defined our season on working hard and playing for the jersey. And I'm certainly proud to be a part of that group that has, has started that new sort of wave of that. And mm. uh, we've got to continue that. We can't just have a one year of doing it. We've got to do it for five, ten years and, yeah. and build a culture and a legacy here for ourselves. From, from the run, the run that you guys went on, What's the biggest memory that sticks out? Is it that crazy crowd against uh, the Raiders, even the Sharkies? What, what sticks out for you? Yeah, probably as a team, oh, oh, what sticks out for us? It's hard to go past that first win against the Dogs. Obviously, uh, the scoreline was great, but I, I think the nil really instilled a lot of confidence in our defence. It's not, it's not who you play against, it's how you play. And mm. um, our defence, like, we're happy with the 66, obviously. Everyone... Everyone's excited scoring tries, but we're really happy with the zero. So that was big. Um, from a team point of view, I think old boys day against the Sharks. I didn't play. I was out with an ankle injury, but I walked out on the sideline before the game. Mm -hmm. And then the tunnel from the old boys was about 50 metres long. It was like a big snake and the oh, boys really? got to run through that. Um, the boys come in, Kirk Gidley and that come in before the, before the game and they spoke about what it meant to play for the club and... I wasn't even playing. I was ready to run through a brick wall. So I just knew from that moment we weren't going to lose that game. I think it was a, like 30,000 crowd. Mm. And then a highlight for myself was the um, the Raiders game, as you touched on. We got to the ground, obviously, on the bus two hours early. We don't usually bus to the game, but you can't. we, we knew we weren't going to get a car park at our yeah. own home game because of the magnitude of what was going on. And honestly, from Mac Jones onto the, the main road was probably about a K long, wow. two hours for the game. I've got a video on my phone of him just lining up. There was like grown men dressed as Kalen with like headgear, full kit, That's like mad. drew the tattoos on. Yeah. And I remember we got off the bus and there was just thousands there waving to us and stuff. And then I remember running out for warm up. I've got a cool video. My missus took of me running over and like just the crowd just before the game, man. And then the finish to it and the way they rode us home and just there was like a fairy tale story too. So there's so yeah. many magical moments within that 10 weeks. But um, yeah, that Raiders game and the crowd we got and the love and support that we got was, um, yeah, it gives me goosebumps and something that I'll have with me for the rest of my life. We will have with us for the rest of our lives, sorry. And this, this season, I personally believe a key moment was when you moved from left to right or right, right to left. Right yeah. to left. And it changed – I personally believe it changed everything for you because you got to link up on KP's good side. Yeah. Was that – obviously that was a tactic by the coach, but what was the thought process behind that? 
Um, there's, there was a little bit that went into it. I sort of um, I bugged him more years just to get a, to get a crack on the left. My mm. favourite side is playing on, on the left, to be honest. It's mm. my favourite. I love being able to catch it square on a back rower and I'm heavy, heavy, heavily right foot dominant, so to be able to go straight, bounce out and run doubles on the centre and, and little things like that. But um, it just – I hurt my – I think I hurt my quad goal kicking and Tyson needed to take over the, the kicking in general play. So he um, went to the right-hand side of the field to dominate that right foot kick to the, to the right box and um, he'd done that really well and um, I was able to link up with Bradman and KP and, and Fitzy and, and play on my favourite side and – um, Tyson actually said he liked playing oh, – he didn't mind what side he played on, but he, he felt stronger playing his block shapes and that on the right-hand side of the field. So mm. it, it kind of just worked out. And I think it just re, rejuvenalised both of us. Like we were defending next to different people. We had to mm. work hard on our combinations. But I got to um, – yeah, I got to play with Bradman and that. And it's different to Gags. Gags is an old head, never shuts up. He always that, yeah, hey, bro, do this, do that, do that. Yeah. It's, it's so easy to defend next to Gags. And then – and Frizz. So, like, we had the two old boys there. So, defending next to them was a, a breeze. And then mm. had to go over the other side of the field and learn a completely different combination with Braddy, young, yeah. raw, athletic, backsy speed. And then yeah. we had the, the tall timber and Fitzy there as well. So, yeah, no, I don't know if that was the, the catalyst for the, for the run, but it certainly helped our football definitely and – you know, at the start of the year, having Kalen play mm. six on the left, like he's obviously a left-sided heavy player, so there's mm. no chance I was going to play there. And then mm. when Gamble come in, we just sort of stayed the same. And when we were sort of going win-loss, win-loss, we wanted to just change it up. And, and that was just a little change that we made. And yep. I think it helped both our footy. You know, he, he certainly went to another level, Tyson. Like, mm. I can't speak highly enough of his development in a short period of time. Like, I, um, oh, I've i openly said it to him. I didn't realise he had that much footy in him. And... Um, mm. Mate, I'm the same. He certainly impressed me, man. Like, he's work ethic as well. Like, one thing I'll say about our team is I've been to some good clubs and I've seen some real high-level players train hard, but Mm. just the young kids at our club and, like, I've been in going in, obviously, doing my rehab for my ankle and we've had 16, 15 blokes in there, like, flogging themselves, running and that in the preseason. So it shows that we're not resting on our laurels and we want to keep getting better. So it's pretty impressive. And what about, you know, being – you know, you've got the best seat in the house to watch Caelan Ponga (laughs) – Win a Dalliem. Yeah. Uh, what's something special that, you, you know, maybe an insight that a lot of people don't know about KP, whether it's on the field, off the field, the way he runs his lines, what's yeah. something special? Well, the first thing I noticed about Caelan was how dedicated he was. Mm. Like, I, you get you get an image portrayed of someone. Like, I, I, I could be the first one to speak of that about myself, but to watch Caelan go about his work in terms of how hard he works on his leadership, first and foremost, he's obviously mm. the captain of the club, most influential player in our team, but... To watch how hard he works on his leadership is, is second to none. It's pretty impressive to watch him go to work in the, the mental space. Um, secondly, how hard he works on the training field. He's the fittest of that club by a country mile, like with all the runs and that. I think you forget he's like a super athlete. Like, oh, it's impressive, man. Yeah. Like the, the shape he's in right now too, the run he's been doing in the off-season is, is pretty scary. Like, he's oh, hot as well. He's so hot. <laughs> he um he's dyed his hair blonde and it just looks the grouse. He works like it just works. Yeah, KP works, baby. I love it. He's I love the fresh man. He's got a tattoo that says "You taste like my coffee." And if anyone else got that, I'd look at it and go, "What?" But it just looks so sick on his <laughs> arm. You know what I mean? But yeah, back to back to what he's good at on the field. Like his leadership, second to none. Um, really, really good leader. Um, talks really well. Very mm. fluent with how he speaks. But then the way he works on the field, like he he trains really, really hard. And I, I think a lot of people will look at his Insta and like the blase nature of how he approaches his off-the-field stuff. He's got a real good – he's one of the best that, like, when he leaves football, he leaves it at footy. Mm. And then when he's at home, he's in chill mode. But then when he goes to footy, he attacks it a million miles an hour. So, 
yeah, he's been really impressive to work with. Um, he's a great friend of all the lads too. He gets along with everyone. Mm. He's he's um, very. He gets around with all the young lads, and then he also gets around with the old lads. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's not very clicky. He gets around with all the boys too. Yeah. So fantastic leader. And um, if I was a betting man, I would have put money on him to win the Daly M. I just think that last ten weeks was was scary good. Mm. It reminded me of Hayne 09 and, and Benny Barber when he went on the run still. It'll go down as – or Tommy Turbo. It'll go down as one of the great runs. So hopefully you can do that for 25 rounds this year, stay yeah. on the field and oh, mate, uh, w- win that. another Daly M and win us a comp, will you? Mate, uh, he uh, – what I love about uh, KPZ this year, especially, you know, we speak about a lot on the podcast, but he proves that there can be different types of leaders. I yeah, think yeah. the idea that you have to be this old-school – tough like even though kp's tough but look tough and act tough off the field and like i think that kp has proven that there is a next generation of leader it doesn't mean that he's is the only way you can still be the old school tough leader but he he's a different type of leader and he he cares just as much as the tough crazy guy that you see going crazy all the time yeah um he's very he's he just done a podcast the other day and i listened to it it was really good but like i I noticed it from being his friend he's very good at like opening himself up to being vulnerable as well Mm. like as you said he doesn't kp's tough mate like he's underrated tough like if you watch him run the footy back he runs it back as hard as anyone he gets whacked like what he played with at the back end of the year mate i think like not enough has been said like he's his AC joint sitting that high still. Like it was the worst. I didn't know there was a grade five AC joint, but his was grade five. Grade five. Grade five. Like I never even heard of it. I walked into him after the sh- after the game when he'd done it. And he was sitting there with the green whistle like that. And mate, like it's for him to play the next week and to play the way he did. And, so he had a green whistle after the game? Because he kept playing, didn't he? Nah, he played like another two minutes. It was after he had the TA in the corner, he got yeah. hit. and then Oh, then they took him off. He but just didn't like, he want to stay on though? He tried to, yeah. yeah he just okay. couldn't lift his arm. Yeah. Like, I thought he was no chance of playing. Uh, he had the week off against the Dragons, sorry, then played the, the semi. And then he, he won us the game nearly on his own in the semi with that mm. shoulder. So, I mean, like, he is tough. But we've got good leaders around him. So, like, our leadership's group full of all the old fellas within the team, the blokes that have been there for a long period of time. We've got that toughness. Like, we've got the Saf boys in there. We've got the Adam Elliott's in there. We've got the Gags. We've got the Frizz. We've got those boys that do the tough sort of stuff. But... We've got blokes that talk before a game, like I'll have a say, Adam Elliott, like people that want to get their point across really strongly and then he'll just come over the top with that last word and everyone, whenever KP talks, everyone listens. So yeah, credit to him because as he said, like his career was nearly over in round mm. two. Was that and tough as a teammate to be like, because you've got two parts of you. You've got the mate, yeah. you care about your mate. So you're like, look, mate, whatever is good for your future, yeah. I want that for you. But then you've got the footy side of you that's like, mate, we need you on the field. Like, you're a gun. It was so shit to watch. Mm. Like, it was so shit to watch. Like, I remember when he got knocked out in round two, it was a bad one. Um, he was out before he hit the ground, then his head hit the ground. And I don't usually do this, but I turned around and looked at the big screen and, and obviously I knew the camera was going to pan on him and he just looked like he almost had tears in his eyes. And mm. um, when we won that game, I went and I sat next to him in the change room and he, um, I remember I just put my arm around him. I said, you're going to be all right, bro. And he looked at me and didn't say nothing and just started crying. And, and from that point on, I was like, whatever I can do to, to look after him or to, to show him that I have his back, I will. And I remember I, I just kept texting him every couple of days, checking in on him when he went to Canada, when he come back. And then he come back and had that game against Para that, um, again, was a tough night for him. Mm-hmm. Um, one of his last games in the sixth jersey. And 
they scored a try, he, he got beat, whatever, they scored. And I remember everyone was walking back to the trial and I just saw him down and I was like, oh, I can't let this bloke, I don't care how good of a player he is, mm. how much of a, I can't let him just stay there on his own. And I've got a cool photo, actually, one of my favourite photos ever playing of me picking him up off the ground and then another one of me with my arm around him. And I remember walking 40 metres back with him and just telling him that, mate, you're, you're one of the best players in the game. Don't let these one game define your whole year. And mm. I remember we had the buy and everyone went away and they made a big deal of that. But Kalen chose to stay and he worked his ass off for a week and we come back and played the Titans and he, that's when he just went man of the match, man of the match, man of the match, man of the match and was the best player in the game. So mm. it's a testament to his mental fortitude, mate. Mm. It's pretty impressive to watch. As I said, he's cool, laid back and nothing phases him, but he works as hard as anyone and he's, mm. and he's a great leader and, and really good person. It is one of the great stories. And it, look, I understand people that felt that SJ played, you know, better for longer and, and that's a great story in itself. I, I love the story of SJ's, you know, potential Dally M run. Yeah. But it's... It, it sucks you had these two incredible stories in the same year because let's say SJ didn't have that run. Yeah. We'd all be talking about a guy midway through the year, his career's over. Like the, one of the biggest superstars to ever enter our game yeah. may be over yeah. to fulfilling the potential that we've known he's had. And also a bit of redemption. First year in, he nearly won the Dalian except he did his hammy. Yeah. Like it's one of the great stories this year for KP. Well, you think like, as you said, halfway for the year, it was round two. Like he... It was nearly over for him, you mm. know, forever. And then I think we take players like KP for granted. Like now we've got Reese Walsh coming through. They're, they're pretty much like for like. They play the same way. So Both hot too. Yeah, both good looking. But we just <laughs> got to give – I think we just got to do a better job of giving um, players their flowers, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when they're playing, let's not wait till people retire and then have debates about who's the best. Who gives a shit? Like yeah. just give the – if they're a good player, just give them credit for being a good player. But I, I actually do feel sorry for SJ a little bit because um, – he was so good this year and like he had the same injury as me i remember watching him break his leg against manly he scored a try and, and broke his leg and he come back and he oh, i mean i'm not i haven't got no footwork like him obviously but to watch him come back and still dominate with his feet and then as he got older dominated with his kicking game and smart so i've drawn a lot of inspiration from him bouncing back from injuries too so um got to give him a shout out because his year was fantastic but kp's last 10 games i mean he would have got six points every single week. So, yeah. I mean, it's no harm losing to either of those two, both, both superstars. What a, year, what a year by both of them. Um, so, young fella, obviously grew up in uh, Wollongong or born in Wollongong. Wollongong, yeah. Mate, what was it like growing up? Was it footy, 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 footy or what was it? Yeah, it was footy, footy, footy. Um, mum used to lock me out of the house and make me go play touch footy on the road yeah. with my cousins and, and my mates, go play tackle footy on the beach. I wasn't... Um, Certainly wasn't the biggest or bravest kid. I, yep. I didn't learn to tackle until I was 15. I still don't do it very well now. But Man, I still uh, don't know how to tackle. Yeah, I, I'm still trying to figure <laughs> it out. I'm still trying to figure it out. I get, I get in the wrestle room with like Greg Marju and that and think, this, I don't know if this is cut out for me, this tackling yeah. stuff. But That's unfair though. Greg Marju's a fucking he's beast. A beast. And he's hot too, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I grew up on the south coast of Wollongong. Footy mad, footy crazy man. Like I just love the game. Um, watched every single game with my mum on the weekends from Friday to Monday it was, oh sorry, Thursday to Monday it was back in the day and then um, played rugby league on the Saturday, union on the Sunday and then the off-season played touch, tag, cricket, all that sort of stuff. So mm. just loved my sport but footy was always something that I wanted to do. was no good at school. Um, if you ask any teacher that I ever had, they, they obviously thought I was going to be just a bit of a dropkick and yep. haven't come of, come of nothing in my life and Always got told literally by every teacher that, um, you know, you better not rely on footy because the way you're carrying on, you might end up in a worse place than, than what you're at at the moment. And I just use that as a bit of motivation, I suppose. Um, 
none of them wanted to take the time to help me. They all just pushed me to the side and thought this kid's too much of hard work. And then I just locked in on footy and mm. I'm pretty grateful that it sort of worked out for me because when people say, what would you be if you weren't a footy player, mate, I've, I really don't know what I would have been, eh? Like yeah. I was really struggled at school with concentration and things like that. So yeah, I'm pretty lucky that it worked out. And so obviously, you know, your uh, younger career or before NRL is really interesting because it's, if you could have a career as a young fella, it's essentially, you know, outside of, I'm sure, maybe up to 15 years old, but you make all the rep sides, yeah. there's all this hype around you. It's like the dream young career, but what was it like actually as a kid for yourself? Yeah, it's funny you say that. I was actually, I'm actually moving house at the moment and my mum, when I was a kid, got all these <laughs> jerseys framed when I was younger and I'm like, mum, like, I've got about 30 jerseys of all these junior rep teams. Where am I going to put them all? But to look back on it, like, to have that junior rep career that I had, like, as you said, I made every team twice a year young, my age. So, like, you just think you just think that it's going to happen. Mm. I think you get caught up in the fact that everyone's just going, patting you on the back all the time. You're so good. You're this, you're that. For me, it was, like, kind of hard because my mum and my family are my biggest supporters. Like, they will back me to the hill no matter what. But mm. they're also my harshest critics. So, I was, pretty, I was pretty lucky that I got grounded at home, like, I'd come home from like an average game and my mum would tell me straight that you weren't very good and I needed that. I wasn't sort of like always just patted on the back by them but yeah. then when you stepped outside that that circle in the comfort zone, everyone's telling you how good you are. And it, for me, looking back on it now, it, it definitely got to me and got to my head like I thought that I could do things that I couldn't. I thought I was way ahead of where I was at and in the long run and grand scheme of things, that's obviously got me in a little bit of trouble, especially when I've come into grade those couple of years after. I can I can look back now and comfortably say that I obviously wasn't the person that I wanted to be, but, um, you know, it didn't help that everyone told me how good I was mm. from probably 14 to, to 18 and then making my debut as a teenager, I just thought that everything was just going to happen at once yeah. and um, it's funny how quickly you can all just get brought back down to earth. Mm, it's it's such a good lesson in, you know, you do need adversity yeah. sometimes to yeah. kind of just bring you back down to earth and humble you a little bit because if you haven't had adversity growing up mm. to a degree now obviously you don't want kids going through terrible stuff but no, you know yeah, what i'm saying yeah, in yeah. rugby league if you haven't had adversity in rugby league when the tough times do come you don't know how to react to them because you've never experienced it before yeah now now i'm sitting here as i'm 28 in a couple of months and i've been through that much in my footy like i've been through i've been through the fire i think in terms of adversity i've sort of faced it so many times and had to come out the other side and i'm now a really good sounding board for any young kid i feel like that's mm. going through anything hard in terms of their footy career, you know, whether it's fitting in with a group, whether it's um, getting dropped from first grade, whether it's getting trouble off the head coach, whether it's getting trouble off the CEO, whether it's getting a strike against your name for breaking a, a team or NRL policy, you know, I've been through it all now, mm. you know, um, getting your contract ripped up, being fined $70,000. Like I've been through so many hardships that I'm not proud of, but I'm also proud now that I can stand here and help that guy maybe in my squad that's like, sort of going through a little yeah. bit. You know, I watch I watch kids now and they come into first grade, their minimum wage if they're in the top 30 is like 130, 140 grand. Right. And sometimes you see them kick stones on and like you just got to grab them sometimes and shake them and go, mate, you're making a lot of money yeah. to be given a crack at playing first grade. Do not waste it. Don't be like me. Don't, don't walk around being hard to get along with. Don't walk around kicking stones. Just bust your ass in the field mm. and the money will eventually take care of itself. But you want to play NRL. That's, that's the thing you've wanted to do since you're a kid. So don't, yeah. Don't be like me. Don't mm. throw it away over something stupid. Don't be arrogant and not get along with the older boys in your team. Don't be hard to talk to. Don't be dismissive. Don't be hard to coach. Just mm. be 
a good kid, work hard, and your dreams will come true. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't don't try and. I always found a way, and I hate I hate that I'm I'm still like this, and I'm sort of on my mental health journey at the moment of trying to discover like why I am or was a certain way. So I'm going through that as we speak. But like, just work on yourself and don't be don't be so hard to approach and don't be so hard to to coach. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. don't think you know everything. Be open to criticism and, and know how to take it well. Not everything's a shot at you personally. Yeah. And you see kids now, it's it's hard for coaches, I feel like, because they can't go at people like they used to be able to go at people. Mm. You need to approach everyone different. So, yeah, I, I, if I can be a sounding board or just someone to look at in terms of, like, this this guy literally threw his career away, pissed mm. it down the drain and got one more chance. I got one chance to, to do something. It wasn't even in Australia. It was in England. Yeah. And I took it with both hands. I ran with it. If I can just be a little bit of like an inspiration to one person, then I feel like I've done a good job. Yeah, it's um, you know, they, as you're a kid growing up, you get taught you need to be the fastest, you need to be the strongest, you need to have the best ball playing, you need to be able to read a game, you need to be the heaviest, the fittest, all those things. Yeah. But you very rarely get taught you need to be coachable. Yeah. You need to be coachable. You need to be a good person and like. As I said, yeah, like I'm going on this a bit of a path at the moment where I'm trying to find out a few things about myself. Like I'm seeing a lady that's really helped me through a lot. And like I had a bit of tr- childhood trauma, obviously with my dad leaving and stuff. And, and that's no excuse for the way I was, but it mm. certainly plays a part in people's lives. Like mm. people have gone through a lot worse than me and have jumped into an NRL system and struggled purely from, from that childhood trauma. Sure. Like they're 16, 17, 18 stepping into an environment with grown men that have been around the block, then you know what footy culture's like and the footy environment. You know, like you should always be happy. There's always banter. There's always jokes yeah. going on. But I think for me, I'm getting really good at like, um, especially the younger boys that like you, you want them to be okay. So just going and sit with them and going, what have you been doing on the weekend? How's, how's your family going? Like getting to know them on a deeper level. So when they do have those moments, you're approachable, you go up to them, you pick them off the ground. So yeah. for someone like me that wasn't approachable was probably really hard to coach certainly hard to get along with was in my own head a lot still am like still struggling in my own head but like being able to flip that and use that as a positive is something that i'm really passionate about and really trying to work on so hopefully if you asked any of the young kids of the nights they would they would attest to that but i won't count much count my chickens just yet (laughs) still got a couple more months of work and then then come back to me um okay so in 2013, so you make 2012, 13, you make under 16s, under 18s, New South Wales side, respectively. So, like, you're doing everything, ticking all the boxes. Then you make the Australian schoolboys in 2013. Uh, so, is that around the point, or was it earlier when you were sitting there going, okay, I am going to be an NRL player? Or at the very least, if everything goes the way it's going, I'm going to play NRL? I think um, when I made the two 16s Origins teams, I thought to myself, oh, I'm not just a good player in my local comp or I'm not just a good player from Wollongong. I actually I fit in with the best kids of my age group in the state, which was pretty cool. And then we beat Queensland in both those games. So then you walk away from that going, well, we're obviously the 17 of the best players in the country. Obviously, yeah. you don't have the other states playing in that game. But when I made Australian schoolboys and then we played against New Zealand, we I think it was one all um, in that series. And then you're like, oh, well, we're going up against the best kids in New Zealand. So, yeah, at that stage I was like, well, one of or two of us have got to make the NRL out of this core group of players that we've got. And I think out of my last 16s origin side and that Australian schoolboys, I think a combined maybe 12, 13 have gone on to play NRL. I'd have yeah. to look at obviously the team photo, but yep. um, a lot of them went on to play NRL. So, yeah, it was at that point and I was playing 20s at the Dragons in 2013. So when I was at school, I was playing 20s. 
as a 17 year old it's almost a recipe for disaster isn't yeah it? it's like crazy all this stuff happening while you're at school like oh like you think you're the man you go to school with your dragons kid on like yeah. what are you doing like, yeah, i've got my dragons bag and my dragon shorts on <laughs> Hey, sir. You're so got, young, though. You're yeah, so no, young. I walk in. Hey, sir, I've got to leave at 12. I've got, I've got 20s training. It's like, shut up, you dickhead. <laughs> I look back on that and I'm like, mate, that's so cringe. But I think when I made my 20s debut at the Dragons as a 17 year old, again, and that's when 20s was the grouse, like mm. on TV, every game, you always play before your NRL side. I think that's when I thought, oh, I'm, I'm a shot here. Like, I'm a yeah. shot at playing NRL. Like, I went straight from, I was a 16 year old playing SG ball. Um, I just done an SG ball preseason, preseason, sorry, straight into the middle of the year with the twenties at the Dragons, straight into a Roosters first grade preseason at seventeen. Yeah. And then when I got to the Roosters, I thought I'm holding up alright in preseason. I'm actually doing alright. I think I can play in RL. And then literally that that next year, I I played. So yeah. it was pretty crazy how I went from the sixteen schoolboys, what you're talking about, to twenties. Literally a couple of months later, as a seventeen year old, to first grade as an eighteen year old at arguably one of the biggest clubs in the game definitely one of the proudest so yeah, yeah well, they just, they just won the comp yeah exactly they and they just they just signed Sonny uh, Jenko Jimmy Maloney mm. they had Roger Piercy Jared Orbo Boyd Aiden like the list goes on and on who they had yeah yeah it was pretty scary and it yeah. all come around so fast man so when the the Roosters came knocking yeah. after your three-year deal correct yeah why did you choose the Roosters? Because I'm sure there would have been quite a bit of interest. So I flew to I flew to North Queensland and I met I met them. I met the Cowboys and uh, they introduced me to JT. So Oof. the moment they introduced me to JT, I was like to Mum, "Oh, I think I want I think I want to sign here." Yeah. Like, I'd like, like JT was as a New South Welshman, JT was still one of my like arguably my favourite player ever. Like we've got the same agent, uh, Sammy Ayub, and um, he had JT's whole career and. Um, I just idolised him. I just idolised his toughness, his competitiveness and everything about him. So when I met him, that was like, oh, I want to go to the Cowboys. But we ended up deciding as a family, as a 16-year-old, it was probably for someone like myself who's yeah. a bit erratic mentally and mm. it was probably a step too far for me to go, a bit too far away from mum. Okay. She didn't want to leave Wollongong because I had my two younger sisters at school. Yeah. Then I had interest from the Knights when Wayne was there. So like another massive draw for me. Like I could go get coached by the greatest coach of all time. Um, the Dragons obviously wanted to keep me and it would have been great to stay at home and then I met Robbo and the Roosters and you know their presentation and their sort of pathway and, and segue for me to get to first grade was just so clear and mm. um, the way he spoke to me about becoming a Rooster and you know stepping out of my dad's shadow and becoming my own man at the same club he played for it was just like it gave me goosebumps when I went to the Roosters and then I looked at their roster and um, I love Mitchell Pierce as a player too and got to learn off him. So um, I, I feel like I made the right choice. I made my debut early on and obviously it didn't work out the way I liked. I, I, I got to play in two prelims, win two minor premierships there. So it wasn't all doom and gloom. The ending wasn't great, but mm. I loved my time there and um, it turned me into the football I am today. And just for, for the listeners that you know may not know who, who your father is, just to give some context, because yep. I think it's a really good way because it's good to show a you did it yourself you didn't do it yeah because your father obviously left but um it's a good way to give you context of who you are as a person because of everything that you went through as a child yeah so i grew up with um a famous surname um obviously obviously hastings was famous especially in in these parts of sydney where we're sitting right now and my dad was the the halfback for the roosters for a long period of time played in the grand final and got beat uh, he made the team of the century at the Roosters, which, I mean, for a club that's been around since the inception of the NRL, oh, rugby league, really, in Australia, um, a foundation club for him to make the top 17 players ever, essentially, was um, 
is obviously a huge thing. He's the first player at the Roosters to play 200 games. Had a stand named after him. Um, played a couple of Origins. And um, every time I speak to someone, they say he's arguably the best player to never play for Australia. So, I mean, to have that rap is great for him. And then, so I grew up with that, but I never had my dad around. He left, he separated from my mum when I was four years old. And I really didn't have anything to do with dad from the age of probably seven or eight. He moved to America and I didn't see him again until the night of my debut in 20, uh, 2014. I was 18 years old. So, wow. Yeah, that long later I saw him again. And um, weirdly, I ran out to warm up and he was in the middle of the field doing like an interview. Obviously, they were talking about his career, but then obviously mm. about me being his young fella making, making my debut for the same club that um, he was f- like famous at. And yeah, so to not have him around. When I, was, when I was going through my contract at the Roosters and, and if I wanted to sign there, I remember talking to mum about it and I was like, I don't know if I want to put myself in, in that environment where I'm going to be, you know, exposed to that sort of external pressure and everywhere you walk at the Roosters, I see him on the walls, I see his player number. Is it yeah, strange? Or? Yeah, it's weird. It's weird, especially because, like, you haven't got this real tight-knit connection. I feel like if I was really close with, with dad and... Um, we had a great father-son bond. I'd look at it like, this is so cool. Yeah, Whereas I was walking around going, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. And then in 2015, when I got to wear the seven, PC Tories hammy, um, I got to wear the seven for the first time and we won like 12 games in a row. I was winning finals games, playing halfback. Um, I was setting up tries in semifinals. I was doing some really cool stuff with the seven on my back. I, I finally became comfortable with knowing that I'm Jackson. Mm. Like people will always remember Kevin and what he did for the club, but I'm starting to forge my own path here. And yeah. obviously it lasted nowhere near as long as what I would have liked and what he did, but mm. I, I know that I made my name for myself. And then once I stepped out of that and went to a different club, that's when I was like, right, this is where I've got to forge my own name. And I feel like I've been able to do that. So mm. it's been yeah. pretty cool. Um, so your debut. Actually, what's walk us through, you're 17 years old. Because, uh, you know, I, I understand the feeling. I, I think, I, well, I was 17, 18 going into a first grade squad. Yeah. I don't think people realise how intimidating it is, especially for a guy that thinks a lot and is in his own head a lot. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I was confident as, as, all, as anything as a mm. kid. Like, I mean, everyone always talks about me as a kid and goes, he was arrogant, he was cocky, he was, he was this or that. Like, and I was confident. But as soon as I parked my car and I pulled the handbrake up and took the keys out, I remember looking – at the facility and I was walking in and I was shitting myself like yeah. nervous as I, it was kind of a blessing in disguise that the boys were on world cup duty at that time so oh yeah, yeah. the new kids the new guys the guys that have only done a couple of pre-seasons and the young kids all started together so yeah. I got to form some really good relationships before the older boys come back post Chrissy and then when they come back post Chrissy and I saw Jared and I saw um doesn't feel real eh? I saw Sonny and I was like <laughs> I was just cheering them on in the grand final literally five, six months ago, watching them win a GF, like walking around with Anthony Minicello. I was like, the count. I'm walking around with the count, man. I love this guy. Yeah. Um, and then I get, to, I was carpooling with Piercy to all the training sessions, you know, he had his shirt off driving, <laughs> calling, me, calling me Jacko, shouting me feeds, like making me feel really welcome and then doing extras with him and Jimmy Maloney on the field, kicking goals with Jimmy on a Wednesday. I was like, bro, everything I've dreamed of, all these people I've idolised, this club that I've always wanted to play for, I'm living out a childhood dream. And mm. when I sit here now, I'm like, there's no wonder I got ahead of myself because like everything that I wanted to do, all the boxes I wanted to tick, I tick so quick. Yeah. Like play for the Roosters, debut as a teenager, play halfback, win minor premierships, play in finals games, win finals games. I did it all in one year. Like my first game 
round twenty uh, round twenty six two thousand and fourteen. I won the minor premiership. Then the week later, I played in the semi final as an eighteen year old. So like, I'm like, how did I, how was I not arrogant? Like how yeah. did I how did I like? No one taught me how to control these feelings that I was yeah. having. Like I had this euphoric feeling of like I was up here where yeah. I should have been here, and yeah. like I had no one to help me control that because. Well, not I guess it would have been pretty hard because, um, you know, and I don't want to speak for you. I'm just making a something yeah, yeah, here. Yeah. But I'd assume, for me anyway, usually it's your father that goes, bro, like your father knows yeah, yeah, what's going along. on yeah. and goes, mate, this is what's happening. Whereas yeah. you, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't really have that relationship to. No, nah, exactly. And that's what, that's what I mean. Like, I mean, if he was around in my life and he was a present father figure and he didn't have to be my mum, like that, that's not an issue, but yeah. like was in the country or in the same state mm. And we had a real good father-son bond. I reckon he would have rang me and been like, maybe pull your head in, maybe don't post that on social media, maybe yeah. don't go out and celebrate this or maybe don't talk like this around the boys and, and, would, and help me navigate through life, not even just the footy side of it, like life in general, and would have given me some life lessons on how to speak to people, how to grow up a bit quicker, and I never had that. So I was learning on the fly. And Well, just to give you an example, like, you know, at 30 years old, I'm still getting lessons yeah, from yeah. the old man. Like I remember ringing him up, um, you know, we'd reached a financial, you know, really big financial goal of bloke or whatever and telling him about it, almost yeah. bragging to, to a degree. Yeah. Um, and he just says straight away, mate, it doesn't mean anything. It yep. really, what you, that doesn't mean anything. The only thing that matters is if you're a good bloke. Yep. And I was ex- ringing up expecting him to go, hell yeah, my son's done this, this, this. He's rich. <laughs> he, well, no, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Hopefully one day. But he just went, mate, doesn't matter. It's just as long as you're a good bloke, it's the only thing that matters. I don't really get upset about it anymore. I used to get real upset about it. I used to, um, not that I'm asking for sympathy here or looking for sympathy at all. Yeah. I used to cry myself to sleep because I was like, I just, I just wanted, I just feel like I watched a lot of people and I watch Nathan and Ivan now. I think mm. that's so cool. It's like, the best. I probably personally wouldn't like to be coached by my dad, but to watch their bond, like, I mean, once they won the grand final, obviously Nathan's last 25 was the, arguably the best I've ever seen, but to watch him mid-interview just go uh, stuff this and embrace with his dad, yeah. like, that gives me goosebumps. And that, that uh, maybe five years prior to now or maybe 10 years, that would have made me really upset because mm. I'd never had that. I've never, yeah. had, I've never really had an embrace like that my old man ever. Mm. I've never been able to celebrate... Um, a highlight of my career with my old man or anything like that so that that is tough but to watch the father-son bonds like billy and kevy now around the league it's yeah. re- really really cool and i wish i had that but mm. at the same time i'm well, glad that you've managed to achieve yeah exactly that. and i'm able to stand on my own two feet now i've been in trouble i've walked through the fire on my own obviously mm. with the support of my my mom my partner mm. my my grandparents my sisters everyone that's been really tight in my circle have supported me but there's nothing like the support of the old man and i've never had that so I mean, I'm pretty proud that I've been able to stand on my own two feet and yep. and become Jackson, step out of Kevin's shadow and and forge a career for myself that at the moment I'm pretty proud of, but um, hopefully I've got a long way to go and yeah. achieve some more. It's, isn't it funny? Like obviously, you know, you would obviously always want that relationship. You know, as a human being, it's natural. Yep. But if you can look at it from a different perspective, you can almost be like even more proud of yourself. Yeah. Look what I managed to achieve in spite of the fact that I didn't get to have that. Yeah, and it's funny because like if I get asked – I get asked a few times, like, do you wish your last name? Do you wish you had your mum's last name? And, mm. well, although my mum would probably love that and I'd be representing that side of the family, that side of the family has helped me the most, definitely. Yeah. Mm. But I'm Jackson Hastings. Yeah. Like, I've, that's how I was born, obviously, and that's mm. on my birth certificate. And I'm so proud of the Hastings last name. And mm. 
the prestige it held before I was even Jackson, you know. So, like, I would never, ever change that, and I'm proud yeah. of that. It's just the relationship with my dad isn't great, and mm. it is what it is. And hopefully my kids in the future will have that last name, and they'll be proud of it, and they can forge yeah. their own path and so on and so forth. Mate, and that's, that's, that's the beautiful thing is you get the opportunity, if you do have children, yeah. to change that. Yeah, exactly. Know, to break that cycle. Um, yeah, exactly. So you make the debut. What do you remember from the debut? I remember um, Robbo ringing me on the – was it Thursday maybe, Captain's Run Friday? It was Wednesday or Thursday and he called me into his office. I was actually on a train into Sydney going shopping. I thought I was playing under-20s that weekend. He he rang me, asked me what I was doing. It was about 4.35 o'clock and he said, I need you to come to my office. And I thought, oh, fuck, not again. Like, I'm about to get in trouble yet again. I'd just been – I'd actually at the start of that year been dropped from first grade for uh, – First grade in, training? Yeah, so I was full-time at uh, 18 years old yeah. and – I had an indiscretion with a trainer, our own trainer in the under-20s in the first game of the year and to set a precedent, Robbo called me in his office that Monday and said, you're gone, I don't want to see you around here. And so what did you just swear at the trainer or? We got, uh, we conceded the trial on the bell and I remember um, he ran on, I think he was giving it to one of the boys and I'd stuck stuck up for him and Mm. and me being Jackson took it way too far, said some things that I'm not proud of. Took it way too far and I thought nothing of it at the time. That was my mind just like I said something and then that was it. And then um, he obviously brought it up with the coach and people obviously knew about me previously with my attitude and stuff and Robbo called me in the office and he just said, we're not having that here at the Roosters. You you dropped from first grade for the whole year. I don't want to see you around first grade training. I don't want you interacting with the boys. You go back to under 20s and you learn your lesson the hard way. You sit at home until 3.34 and then you go to training and bust your ass in the elbow. So anyway, I did that the whole year. And so when he called me on this uh, train ride in, in round 20, just before round 26, I thought, oh, mate, is he going to, like, rip my contract up? What have I done? I just thought about all the things in my head on this train ride on the <laughs> way back to my car to drive into Moore Park. And then when I got into Moore Park, he ran down the stairs and looked really happy. And I was thinking, fuck, like, I don't know. I'm really nervous about this. I had real sweaty hands, shook his hand. He goes, meet me in my office. So I ran up to his office and I'm sitting there. He closed the door. He's just There was a lot of small talk, like, how are you? How are you feeling about the game this weekend? Um, how's the week been? I'm just, I'm shitting myself. Like, I'm actually trembling, like, I'm under the table, shaking like that. <laughs> and he goes, um, he was moving, like, people's names on the whiteboard, like, with, like, little um, stick-on things. And I had my name, and he moved it, like, into, like, number 18, and then he slid it up into the 14th spot on the bench. And I was looking at it, and he goes, so how would you feel about playing against the Rabbitohs this week um, in first grade? And I remember um, I don't really get like sad or emotional about many things, especially sport related. I remember just like, I remember just I was sitting in the chair like rubbing the back of my head and I was looking at him going, no way, you're taking the piss. Are you being serious? He goes, yeah, mate, you're about to be rooster 1145. Um, I'm proud of you, all the work you've put in. I just remember like I had a tear in my eye. I didn't want to show him that I was too yeah. uh, too emotional. I didn't want to see, see him too happy. And he goes, I'll see you tomorrow for captain's run. Mm. Um, you'll be playing hooker. And then um, I sprinted out. Ran in my car and um, I just put my head on the steering wheel and I had a moment to myself. I was crying. Mm. Um, I was so happy. Like it was easily the proudest moment of my whole life. Mm. All the trials and tribulations, like getting suspended from school, being told I was going to be enough, and making all the rep teams, being told I was arrogant, making the Roosters first grade squad at 17, getting dropped from the whole thing after one round, to then making my debut as an 18 year old um, for the Sydney Roosters, a club that I loved and adored. and to get to play with my idols and I rang my mum straight away and 
she was swearing, carrying on, <laughs> like tears of joy. And someone that had rode the wave with me and the most loyal supporter that I got in my mm. life, she stuck with me through thick and thin as a kid and, and was that one person that always told me I'd be something and make something of my life. And yeah, to ring her and tell her that, have that conversation. And then when I was driving out, when he told me I was playing hooker, I was like driving on the way home. I was like, <laughs> I, I was like Ben Teo, Sam Burgess, John Sutton, Isaac Luke, Dylan Walker, Greg Inglis. I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm playing against some of the best players of all time here. Yep. And that excitement turned to, to nerves. And then when I got to training the next day, the boys really congratulated me. And I remember um, Sam Mower and Jared and, and Kane Evans and Dylan Napper and that got around me and they said, look, we're not going to let anything happen to you. Mm. We know that they're going to target you through the middle. And yep. Uh, Michael McGuire was the South coach. Funny, it's funny enough now that he's ended up being one of my biggest supporters in the game. But he openly admitted that he put a massive target on my head, and they certainly went after me. But I remember just walking to the game with the boys, all suited up, taking my suit off, getting strapped, and like I was just shaking, trembling. And I didn't think I was going to get much time. I probably thought I was going to get maybe 15 to go in the game. It was for the minor premiership against the arch enemy. There was a massive build up to a huge crowd and almost a sellout, I think. And then. After about 25 minutes, he um, he called my name and I got up and um, I grabbed the I grabbed the card to go on and uh, me and Sam have actually spoke about this as I was um, walking down the sideline. So they kicked it long, and I was walking down the sideline with Trav Toomer, uh, our trainer at the time, and Sam come running off and he actually bumped me. <laughs> and he goes, you're in for a fucking long night, pal. <laughs> I went, I went, oh, no. I went, I went. What do I do? What do I do? I can't look. I can't look like I'm scared. I went, yeah, fuck off, mate. As I, so I'm just shitting myself walking down. As I as I ran on the field. Anyway, two minutes later, I just hear and something back onto the field. Number thirteen, Sam Burgess. Oh, and I remember oh, him just like pointing at me and stuff. Yeah. And um, I, I remember the first collision I had with him. I was like, Luke jumped out of dummy half. I trapped it with my foot and I dove on it. And as I like rolled like this, I just see this big <laughs> six foot five Englishman come and dish me up on the ground and. That was kind of my welcome to sort of the NRL moment. But, um, yeah, he's someone that I've got a lot of respect and time for. And uh, that actually helped me settle into the game. And as I said, we won the minor premiership that game. So I won a trophy in my first game. So it was a dream debut, dream scenario, play, playing arguably against some of the best players of all time in Greg and Sam and Isaac and, and people like that. And then playing with Sonny and Piercy and Minnie and Jenko and that. So as an 18-year-old, as a footy head, there's someone that loves the game so much. It was just a dream come true. And... Something I'll never ever forget. What was it like seeing the great GI just striding out? My first ever tackle in the NRL, I'll probably be able to find it. Um, Piercey's done this kick, that, so I've got on through him the ball. He's done this grubber kick down the down the sideline, and I've I've gone, I've sprint down, so I've flown down on my own. So I'm out in front. Skidsy's here, Piercey's here, and then GI just picks it up, casual as, scans the line, <laughs> you see little Jackson Hastings, and I remember him running back. I just I closed my eyes like that. Ah, he just hit me, just flew, flew back <laughs> straight on my ass. And then I was just like, oh, mate, I don't know if I'm cut out for this middle <laughs> stuff, you know what I mean? But, yeah, one of the one of the greatest players to ever play the game. He, yeah. he actually presented me a jersey. Uh, the next, the following year, I played fullback for the Australian under-20s and he was fullback for the test team. And I uh, actually spoke to him about that moment, which was pretty cool. So I had some pretty cool moments early on in my career where I was idolising these guys. And then I had some full circle moments where I'd play against them and yeah. where I was able to relive some moments against them and with them and stuff. So, yeah, I had, like my teenage years playing NRL were, were so cool, man. Mate, incredible. In, like, and, you know, the minor premierships, being a part of the squads and the sides and then obviously playing finals footy. Yeah. Um, so initially it looks like everything's going well for you. Basically... Yep. It looks like, okay, I, 
I could be the guy that eventually either partners PC yep. or you know when he moves on, I take his position potentially. Yep. But then obviously it all falls apart. How yep. does it all fall apart? Yeah, so they let Jimmy Maloney go to the Sharks in 2016, I think it was. Yeah, 2016. Uh, he announced at the end of 2015 he was going to go to the Sharks. And they did that, I think, to open the pathway up for me to um, slot into the six and sort of become that future halves pairing with Piercy. And then that off-season, it was the off-season from hell. Obviously, things happened with um, Mitchell and people in our team. There was a few suspensions. Jared just done his ACL. Um, Boyd tore his peck. So the spine ended up being um, Latrell at one, oh, sorry, Blake Ferguson at one, who ended up being Latrell at one, myself at seven, Jade Nicarima at six, and Friendy at nine. And um, that's when it all sort of fell apart mentally for me. We didn't really win many games. Obviously, we were coming near the bottom of the ladder for such a proud club. That was nowhere near acceptable. My attitude was sort of probably wearing thin with a lot of people within the club, especially the older heads. And when you don't win... When you win, sorry, a lot of that can be masked and yeah. a lot of that can be worked around because you're winning and you're successful yeah. and you've got no pressure from the media and and the people at the higher-ups at the club. But when you're losing, that all gets exposed. And mm. when you are uh, when you were a personality like me that expressed exactly how I was feeling, it mm. pissed a lot of people off. And yeah. at the time, I didn't realise that. But now that I look back and I deal with younger people that sort of throw their toys out the pram yeah, and, and yeah. get the shits and and voice their opinion when they haven't really done anything within the game you sort of look back and go i want i now know why people were a certain way of me and yeah that was the beginning and the end i remember getting dropped after we got beat by para um at para and i never thought i'd play for the club again i think i had six or seven games out i come back against the tigers won a few more games and then eventually got dropped again and yeah that was kind of the end of my my time there I sort of got told just before that next preseason started that i was no longer wanted and mm. Yeah, went over to Manly and then whatever happened there happened. It was um, it was kind of like I had I reached the the heights that I did, and then I just hit these lows, man. It just was like one one punch after another, just sort of just getting kicked down, mm. kicked down. I just felt like I was drowning, eh? Like mm. I was my own worst enemy, um, and I f- felt like there was no escape. I was literally going home and locking myself in the house and then I'll take my dogs for a walk and there'd be media outlets like around the corner from my house trying to snap me going for a walk with my dogs and I was only like 20, 21 at this time and I was yeah. thinking like, is this really what my life's become? Like yeah. two years ago I was playing in a prelim against Brisbane in front of 50,000 now I'm playing for Blacktown in front of 10, 10 people and getting papped going for a walk to get a coffee with my dog, getting mm. people abusing me down the main road of Collaroy um, in their cars. Like, fuck you, Jackson. Like, yeah. blah, blah, blah. You've done this to our club. And yeah, man, I felt this big. And um, I remember going to my manager, have we got any options? Like, um, is there anyone in the NRL that will take me on minimum wage? I'll do anything to get a crack. And he, he come back to me a couple of weeks later and said, no one no one will touch him, mate. Like, you... It's crazy how quick you can fall, eh? Like, oh, I fell and, and then some, you yeah. know what I mean? He's just said, mate, you've done too much damage and you've burnt too many bridges for anyone to give you a chance. And... Um, yeah, that was easily the hardest moment, hardest phone call I've ever had to take was knowing that, like, essentially for this period of time, your NRL career is up um, and do what you, I was going to do. When you, at that age, because, like, I, I feel like if someone told me that, and um, this is not having a crack at you at all, bro, this mm. is just asking the question. If someone told me that, I would be like, all right, you know what, I'm just going to shut up and I'm not even going to, I'm going to be myself, but... 
basically a zero version of myself. Like yeah, yeah. I'm just going to not even talk. Yes, sir. No, sir. Whatever you want, yep. sir. What are you thinking when you get told you've burnt too many bridges? Well, I, I thought that at that point because like if I had thought anything else, I would never have ever got a chance ever again. So yeah. I was just like, I have to go to Blacktown and I have to try and be the best player and teammate I can be. And mm. I was so lucky that I ran into a bloke called Stephen Hales who is now this, one of the assistants at Manly. And he was the first bloke to actually put his arm around me. My whole life through school, um, every footy side I'd been in, I'd always got that, like push Jackson to the side, mm. he's, he's trouble, he's cancer for the locker room, he's mm. an arrogant prick, he, he's hard to coach. And everyone just palmed me off, palmed me off. So now that I look back, mentally I was just – gaining resentment for every single person. Yeah. So yeah. every time I walked through the doors at training, I'd hold resentment for these people that were just pushing me away as opposed to going, I need to fix this. I need to become better. I need to work on myself. Mm. I'd, I'd blame everyone else. I'd yeah. never take accountability. So Halsey was the first one to show me that, like, it's all right to be a little bit vulnerable. Mm. I'm here to help you. When you have your little moments, I'm not going to blow up at you. I'm going to bring you in tight. I'm going to put my arm around you. Yep. I'm going to text you through the day and ask how you're going and mm. – my footy improved. Even though we weren't winning at Blackdown, my footy improved, my confidence improved, my ability to be around a group and fit in improved massively. And then about eight weeks later, I got a phone call from my manager going, this little club in England want to want to sign you to help them not be relegated. And that was Salford. And um, yeah, literally three days after that phone call, I jumped on a plane and started a new life, a new journey. And I remember just sitting on the plane going over there thinking, I don't know where I'm going. Mm. I don't know where this place is. I've been in England once with the Roosters. I didn't really know my way around. I never heard of Salford in my life mm. and I heard they weren't doing very well. So I thought this could be a recipe for disaster or it could turn into one of the best stories ever. And I'm so lucky that it was the second, the second option and yeah. turned into one of, the, one of the great stories. So basically, so at Roosters, everything happens and you go to Manly and was it a similar situation of, you know, you might stuff up or rub people the wrong way and then that resentment cycle starts. I just didn't learn my lesson from the Roosters. And yeah. like, um, there were so many people at Manly that had done so many great things and so many great players. And I got along with a lot of the boys and I got a lot of time for, for everyone there. Like, I was so happy that they took a chance on me. And just, I don't know, culturally, I guess I didn't really fit in and, and I didn't learn my lessons and my mistakes from the Roosters like I should have. I probably thought that, uh, well, this won't happen again. You know, yeah. I can still be myself, but you got to learn, man. you got to learn quickly, especially in a sport like the NRL because as soon as you get that one strike, so many people talk, so many people move clubs, and if you burn one bridge, you end up burning two, and if you burn three, you burn four, obviously, and then, yeah, yeah I just was running out of strikes, man, and, and mm. burnt way too many bridges, and, and it all happened way too fast. And the way, so obviously, you are away, Manly were away, yeah. and you are on the drink, I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> you've carried on, yeah. I'm assuming. You've, again, I don't know what actually happened. Yeah. You carried on, and then that was the last strike of just gone. Yeah, I, I won't go into it because obviously- There's other people involved. Yeah, there's obviously other people involved, and I've got to take accountability for my own actions, yeah. and, and that's something I learned at that point that- one thing I am actually proud of throughout my whole journey in footy is I've never blamed anyone else besides myself. Mm. Regardless of how I've acted and how I've felt within myself towards other people and how situations have happened, I'm really proud that I've never ever thrown anyone under the bus. I've never blamed anyone else. I've always worn it, even in times when I probably shouldn't have. Mm. As a grown man, you've have to, you have to own your own actions. So in that manly case, we weren't allowed to go out. I went out and I broke curfew. We weren't meant to drink um, past 12 I got pissed way too far into the night and then whatever happened back at the hotel happened and I've got to take accountability for my own actions and I'm really remorseful and regretful that I put myself in that scenario and put myself through that first and foremost. 
obviously putting my family through that, putting the Manly Club through that, mm. and then also putting people that have kids through that. Like, mm. that's one thing that doesn't sit right with me that I put myself in a position that people with kids had to go through the papers. Like, we were going through the back page, especially myself, for like probably two weeks straight. Yeah. And, you know, as embarrassing as it was for me and my family and how hurtful it was, like, I was getting death threats and all this, and, and I can cop it, but to put a couple of people that had a lot of young kids and, and a wife through that sort of pain, I think, like, that sort of hit me the most and that made me realise, like, when you do stuff, it's not just affecting you or your family, it always affects the other people as well. So I'm regretful and remorseful for so many things in my life and that was one moment that I wish I could take back. I yeah. wish I could have that 12 hours back within my life and who knows, I may not have ever gone to England and I may have played reserve grade regardless, but um, I wouldn't have had the embarrassment of what I went through. Like I got belittled pretty bad in the media. Mm. I got fined a hell of a lot of money and then I got my contract sort of like it was a mutual agreement to leave but essentially my contract yeah. was going to get ripped up you know what i mean so yeah it was um it was a tough time it was a character building time and i'm not glad i went through it but it taught me a lot of life lessons early on in my life mm. that i've been able to use uh later on down the track so you touched down in salford or yeah. obviously not i'm assuming not in salford no, but manchester yeah manchester yeah and you're driving out to salford and you're just looking out the window and going, okay, four or five years ago, I was the hottest property in the NRL in a key position. Yeah. My peers that were around the same level as me of that age are all earning five, six, seven hundred grand, yeah. maybe even eight, nine million dollars are getting talked. Like, you yeah. know, all this crazy. I'm in this cold, I don't know if Salford's shitty, but I'm just going to say shitty for effect. Yeah. Shitty place. I don't know if it is. What are you thinking? So when I, when I stood on the plane, right, and I said goodbye to my family, I was bawling my eyes out and I'm like, this is shit. Like, well, look what I've done to myself. Look, what I've, I've split up a family purely off my own actions. So mm. one, I wanted to make it a redemption story straight away and I wanted to make them proud. Mm. So when I was on the plane, all I thought about was, you need to go over there and you need to best, be the best player. You have to be. Um, I was, as you just touched on, funny enough, I was watching people my age that I'd probably, probably was a little bit better than at that time getting a lot of money but like playing a lot of first grade playing origin yeah. eventually playing for australia and i'm like have you just thrown away your chance of doing that like you were definitely good enough to do that and mm. you've just put yourself in this situation that may be irreversible if you don't go over there and dominate so anyway i'm on this plane right flying business living it up thinking how cool is this my life my life's shit but i've spent a lot of money to, to do this <laughs> so i'm going to enjoy it i touched down in manchester get a phone call hiya pal <laughs> oh, i'm out the front blah 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 so I've gone out the front, met Paul Hyten, the, the welfare at the time at Salford, and he goes, I'm going to take you to your car and you can follow me to your house anyway. So I hadn't driven manual in five years. Oh. So I'm bunny hopping through Manchester just <laughs> like this. He's like ringing me. I'm on the Bluetooth going, mate, you need to slow down. I've got no idea where I'm going. He's explaining all these roads to me. Anyway, we get to my house. It's it's grey as anything outside. The weather actually wasn't too bad when I was there the first time. I was in Don't like, lie, it's England, no, no, mate. no. I was in. A, it was in. It was in. A, it was actually in a peak summer, like heat wave. But anyway, this day was grey for for effect. Pissing down rain. <laughs> I walk into this big old brick house, and I'm, I've got like heaps of bedrooms, like massive kitchen. I'm thinking, oh, this isn't too bad, but it's just me on my own. Yeah. Anyway, so I had to go buy a TV, buy food. Like all these different things, had to be my own man. And then the next morning I went into training and meeting all the boys. I was lucky enough that um, like I, there was a few Aussie boys, like Junior Sow was there, uh, Robbie Louie. Uh, who else was there? Aussie boys. But anyway, they took me, they took me in. And then um, 
we, we had a training session and we're doing like catch pass drills and I was thinking, this isn't like the NRL at this point. Like there was people dropping the ball everywhere and <laughs> I was kind of like, shit, what have I done? Yeah. We're running block plays and like um, at the time, like our starting back rows were really good. But then when we put like the younger kids in, like they didn't know how to run inside the three man. I'm thinking, <laughs> shit, oh, I've, I've, I've made a mistake here. Yeah. I've really made a mistake here. Anyway, I've walked off the training field. Coaches come up to me, fill me with a lot of confidence. What I fill me with a lot of confidence. We're playing Leeds Rhinos, a massive club on the Friday night. Um, we're in a relegation battle. So the bottom four of Super League at that point played against the top four of the championship, which is a division under. And you essentially, if you're in the, you finish in the top four of that, you play everyone once. If you finish in the top four of that, you're guaranteed to be safe for Super League the next year. Mm. Or if you're in the top four, you promotion. The bottom two play for a million pound game. One goes up, one goes down. Or if you're in Super League and you win, you stay up. And if you're in Super League and you lose, you go down. Mm. So essentially you're playing for contracts. And uh, we were playing Leeds Rhinos in our first game. And, you know, they were a much bigger club than Salford, had probably better players at the time. And, we had a fair crowd there and people are singing my name already in the warm-up. They've got jerseys with like 31 and Hastings on the background. I thought, fuck, there's a lot to live up to here. And yeah. I remember um, first touch off the kickoff, we had this set play where um, I got the ball off like a long pass and it was always like a dummy to offload anyway. So I've done it and I've dummy and I've offloaded. I thought, oh, it's on here. Back row straight through, dropped it, picked it up and scored. They picked oh. it up and scored. I just thought, oh, my life can't get any worse here. <laughs> like, all these people behind the trial yeah. line were chanting my name, and now they're going, boo. I was thinking, oh, fuck, what have I done? Anyway, I ended up um, playing the best 20 minutes of my career. Had, like, two TAs, a try. Twinge my homie, come off after 20. Had a standing ovation after 20 minutes, which was pretty crazy. We ended up winning, like, 34-12 or 34-14. And then that was, like, the start of a mad run. That back end of the year, we won, I think, five out of the – seven games we played and I remember the last game to stay up for promotion we played Toulouse a French club and got man of the match and um, there's a video of me like going over and clapping the crowd and thanking them because I didn't know if I was going to re-sign at that point I yeah. only done like a, an eight-week contract and um, I remember just getting picked up um, I was on the guy's shoulders and they just pulled my jersey off pulled my boots off my socks off I was just in my budgie smugglers in the middle of England and they were just singing this Jackson Hastings song and for the first time in a long time I felt loved and yeah. I felt cared about and um, I played some great footy and then I walked off the field and I remember just saying to myself, I'm, I'm re-signing, I'm staying here for another year and then re-signed for the 2019 season and it was arguably, oh, it was one of the, the best years, it's certainly the best year I've ever had in my career and statistic-wise, I, I don't know, I can't speak on anyone else, but it, it was certainly right up there with one of the one of the great mm. seasons. So yep. it's something that I hold dear to my heart doing it for Salford and, mm. and coming through that fire and being able to do that off the back of all that adversity did you so did Salford was Salford already in the Super League or you promoted them no the no League? so they got promoted uh sorry they were in the million pound game the year before I got there yeah. um a guy called Gaz O'Brien kicked the field goal from 50 to keep him in Super League yeah then the year I went there in 2018 they were bottom four so they were in that relegation battle to stay up yeah I'll obviously help them be a part of staying up in Super League and then I re-signed in 2019 and we had one of them magical years one of them years that like for a team and town like Salford will get spoke about for generations. Like it'll just live on forever, that 2019 yeah. season. So yeah, 2000, you win the Man of Steel and you're, you're playing a grand final, um, losing to St. Helens, but what's it like playing at Old Trafford? Yeah, like kid from Wollongong that used to dream about playing at Wynn Stadium to then eventually like five years later play at Old Trafford was, was crazy. So 
Old Trafford is in Salford. So essentially it was a home game for us. And, you know, we weren't getting big crowds at home games. We were getting like two and a half thousand. And then when we walked out, um, they were down at the Stretford end of Old Trafford and there was like 16,000 Salford fans. I think there was like 55 to 60,000 fans. It was the biggest crowd in the last 10 to 12 years, I think. So mm. like we're playing against one of the one of the biggest clubs in, in the world, let alone um, the Super League. And little old Salford's on the big stage. And, mm. you know, I remember like we broke every record that year, like – uh, most wins for Salford, most points scored, most away wins, most people in the dream team, two Great Britain representatives, myself and um, Josh Jones. Like we broke all these records and then to walk out of Old Trafford and ultimately get beat was obviously heartbreaking by arguably the greatest side of the, like, the Super League era. They'd just gone on to win four in a row last year, mm. or the year before last, sorry. Huge experience, man. Yeah, like Something I'll take to the grave. Like To go from being nearly relegated in 17 to being in a relegation battle in 18 to being odds on favorites for the drop in 19 like yeah. we're paying i think we're paying over like a thousand quid to make the grand final wow. which is a lot of money and then to eventually get there to be crowned the first ever salford man of steel mm. first ever salford half to make the dream team and then to play for great britain at the end of that after playing the grand final was like a dream come true yeah like my nan's a proud english lady and to be able to represent her and that side of my family was like yeah, it was heartwarming. She wasn't alive to see it, God bless her, but um, to know how proud she would have been, like she was um, she was so patriotic about being English and stuff. Yeah. So to be able to represent that side of my family, something that I hold dear to my heart. I've got it framed at home, my Great Britain jersey. It's, it's easily my favourite jersey I've got framed because it just symbolises something bigger than myself. Mm. It represents my whole, whole family and yep. the generations past. You know, you talk about boys being proud of their heritage and, mm. and things like that, and it's so cool to see. And I've never been prouder. So, yeah, that year was so, so cool. In the grand final, uh, unfortunately you lose. But then you signed with Wigan. Yeah. What was the reason for signing with a club like Wigan? Yeah, so obviously I wanted to be loyal to Salford after 2018. They put a lot of faith in me when no one else would. They gave me a chance to revive my career and they showed me so much love and um, obviously went for the 2019 season. I felt like I repaid them as, as, good, as, as good as you could without winning the comp. And mm. then um, I just wanted to further my career again and – um, and that's no disrespect to Salford. I love them dearly. They're mm. one of the, my favourite clubs I've played for. I, love, I hold it close to my heart. But Wigan are such a big club. They're a monster club in England. They had some of the best players in the world, and especially in the English game, playing in their team. Um, Adrian Lamb was the coach. Um, they were televised a lot on TV. So if I ever wanted to come back to the NRL, um, Wigan were on a, like a lot of TV games. And I wanted to win a grand final. You know, yeah. I thought that going to a club like Wigan gave my, myself the best chance to win a grand final. And... Um, yeah, I just wanted to go partner Tommy Lulawai in the halves, which was like so cool. Tommy's one of the best players we've ever played with, great leader. And then got to play with blokes like Liam Farrell, Joe Burgess, Zach Hardacre, Sean O'Loughlin. Got to play with some of the greats of the game. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, the 2020 season, the COVID year was all mad and wild and no one knew what to do. But yeah, we ended up having a fantastic year. We won the minor premiership that year, which Wigan, for a club like Wigan, hadn't done it in 10 years, which was cool to be a part of the team that broke that drought. And then went on to play in the grand final again against Saints and um, one of the worst or one of the greatest finishes to a, to a game ever with the way they won, but a nightmare for, for us, obviously. Like Was that the one where they... Where Wellsby scored when they went for the field goal, hit crossbar, uh, hit upright, bounced back this side of the crossbar, went over, went to shield it dead and it done a mad right-hand turn, their centre come through and put it down after the siren. Yeah. Like I remember... Like, I've got a photo sitting there, and I remember I always look at it, and I just think, like, what was I thinking at the time? 
you're thinking nothing because it, it's like a real bad dream and you wake up and you realise that it's not real. And I, and I thought I was going to wake up and it wasn't going to be real, but fuck, man. Like to, to go over to the UK playing two grand finals in a row to ultimately lose them both. But to lose the last one in that matter, I was yeah. just like, bro, come on, man. Like I couldn't believe we lost it. But playing for Wigan was a huge honour. Like when you – when you look at the players that have come through and played at Wigan and the prestige that club holds to, to know that you've been a part of history, won a minor premiership there, playing a grand final there, play your mm. part in, in the history of that club. Yeah, it's pretty special. They're a huge club mate and yep. um, a team that I'm certainly proud I've got to play for. And so then you signed a two-year deal with the, the Tigers. How did that come about? Yeah, so I met Madge when I come back mm. um, for pre-season uh, before I went back to England for the 2021 season. I just met him. Um, he obviously... Coach Wigan for for a number of years. He was the one that sort of started the culture there and mm. started that real tough mentality that Wigan play for. Anyway, just met him out of good faith, and um, he just said, "Like I've been keeping an eye on you. You've been playing really good footy. Um, mm. If you ever come back to the NRL, I'd love you to come back and play for the Tigers and to be coached by me." And um, I was kind of just really open to to that, and really stoked that someone like Madge had taken the time out to one get to know me, mm. um, not listen to all the noise mm. previously, and was going to back himself to get the best out of me and I mm. thought that was really cool and he just said like I can't make no promises on my end and obviously you can't but if you were to ever want to come back um, this is my number mm. if you ever need anything ring me and then I went back to the UK for the 2021 season and then we just kept in constant contact I was watching the Tigers I think that's when Tales of Tiger Town come out so I was heavily invested in that mm. um, I love that clip of Madge saying the West Tigers always in a fucking game that always gets <laughs> That always gets played on my Twitter. It's quite funny, actually, yeah. and me and him laugh about it now. But um, stayed in constant contact, watched the team, and then got to the point where we're like, oh, let's make this happen. Do you want to come back to the NRL? And we done a couple of face Zoom, sorry, and he was just like, are you prepared for the media scrutiny? Mm. Are you mentally ready for it? I'm here to help you. I've got you back. And once I heard him say, I've got you back, and I'm going to guide you through it, mm. and I was just like, right, let's sign me up. I want the challenge. I knew the Tigers – hadn't gone that great and um, I wanted to be a part of the reason that the Tigers turned their, their fortunes around and played finals footy and become a successful club again and um, yeah, took the punt and signed the contract, played out my year at Wigan and then got on the got on the plane and linked up with the Tigers. And so you arrive at the Tigers and like, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you would have assumed that it would be difficult, but I don't know if you would have assumed it would have been this kind of difficult in regards to like the type of difficulty that seems to come along with Tigers at the moment. Yeah, I'll, I'll, look, I was expecting the footy to be difficult. Obviously, you're playing in the NRL against the best yeah. players in the world and every team gets better every single year. So I was expecting that to be really difficult. And we certainly had times in games and against good teams where we performed really, really well. And we obviously had games that we weren't in and sometimes you just get overpowered by, by star power, essentially. Mm. But the thing that I wasn't really prepared for was being in the media every week, mm. being on every talk show every day, and there's always something going on. Whether, whether we've done something right or wrong, whether we've won or lost the game, there's so many moving parts and we're just always in the media for whatever reason. Yeah. Like, It's like the media's favourite team to go after the Tigers and yeah. it's kind of shit really because like you, you look at a lot of boys there that train so hard, work so hard, and just to see like some of them get dragged through the mud for – no reason other than agendas was shit and like mm. I wanted to be there to, to put my arm around them them people and to help them through it and you know we won two games in a row we were the best club in the world everyone wanted to support us and then we lose the game by two points and it's like ah the Tigers suck they're this they're that and it's just like you could never win with yeah. the media that's just even like when I'd left and gone to Newcastle and 
I've watched the Tigers from afar and I've got some really good mates there that I want to see succeed and I want to see them do well. It's just like it's hard watching them get bashed now that you, you've you lived that life of so you know what they're the, doing, how the hard constant they're new, so, new yeah. cycle of the Tigers and how hard they're working. And, mm. yeah, it's it was a difficult one, man. <laughs> it, it tested me mentally because, like, I feel like after everything I've been through, I'm, I'm really resilient as a person. I can, mm. I can cop a lot of grief, but when you watch it wear certain people down and, like, people that have copped it for years and years and it's always their fault and watching it wear them down mentally and like they don't show it they turn up with their chest out and head held high and they train hard but you can see it subconsciously wearing thin on them it it sucks man like it sucks that someone that doesn't know them can have such a big toll on them and Mm. it does eventually affect your footy because you you go out there being scared to make a mistake because you don't want to be that one person on the back page Mm. or you don't want to be on nrl 360 or you don't want to be on a talk show radio in the morning so it's a hard environment to be in, not because of the people that are there, it's because of everything that surrounds it. So, yeah, yeah I probably wasn't prepared for that. Mm. And so with the Michael Maguire situation, like, seriously, it was like every second week he's going, he's not going, as in, like, you know, they were yep. going to move him on. He was clearly, I want to stay and ride this out. What the hell, what happened there? He's he's the most mentally resilient and tough person I think I've ever met in my life. Like, he just don't take no for an answer, imagine. Mm. And for all the right reasons, like, I think... <clears throat> Watching what he did with New Zealand just previously, like he that that whole week was suited for him, eh? Like mm. back against the wall, Australia with odds on favourites, mm. matches under pressure. Is he going to be good coach? Blah blah blah. And then he goes out and b- biggest win in New Zealand history, arguably. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, he just like he just kept telling us players, "Don't you worry about me. I'm going to be all right. I'm worried about you." He always put everyone else before himself, and. You know, it was affecting his family. Like, I'd go and see his, his partner and kids, and they were always upset about it, but Madge was always staunch. Like, he wanted, he loved that club more than I think anyone could ever expect. You know, he, mm. regardless of all the stuff that went on and how many times people said, we're going to sack you or that got leaked that he was going to get sacked, mm. he just stood tall and stood staunch and just wanted the best for our playing group. And then the day that it all sort of unfolded and, and we got told that Madge was leaving and then, like, we got... Lock, not locked into the gym, but we all got told to meet in the gym so they could explain what was going on. And then I remember just peeping out the corner and watching him carry his bags and laptop and walk to his car. And for me, someone that had the full support of him and like he had backed and given me everything that I ever wanted to come back to the NRL and live out my dreams and made me feel like I was the best player in the comp, regardless of obviously that wasn't true, but he made me feel like I was six foot tall and bulletproof and just supported my family through some stuff. And mm. To watch that all unfold and to watch him walk down the corridor with his bags and yeah, it's wasn't nice. Yeah. Like there's way to go about things and you know, I supported him publicly when uh probably not shouldn't have, but like it was like a it was probably that probably pushed me out the door a little bit that I was yeah. so staunch in supporting him. But one thing I am is that I'm extremely loyal. Mm. Like I don't have a big friendship group or I don't have a massive base of people that I've had to be loyal to, but the ones that are loyal to me that I'm, I'm really, really staunchly loyal for mm. and Madge is one of them guys and I still talk to him most weeks. Like yeah. he's still asking how my sisters are going at school, mm. how's your mum going at work, how's training been, geez, you're playing good footy, oh, I reckon you could work on this. Like always a sounding board there for yeah. me too. So yeah, to watch that unfold, man, was, yeah, it was pretty heartbreaking. And for you personally, this how it all happened with you, I mean, you know, you'd, you'd kind of proven that, you know, you felt like it, it felt like you had proven that you were a good seven to have at the club because you'd got the wins or whatever. But then you get moved to 13. Like, look, I, I'm sure you may never know, but it felt to me like you were intentionally getting moved to 13. So you would go, mate, I'm out of here. But again, that's just an assumption. Yeah, right. Like, and I'm not, I'm not here to bag the Tigers because I'm actually like, 
I've met some wonderful people there. The fans at the Tigers are so good. Like, they welcomed mm. me. The club were really, really good to me. But, like, what you just touched on, when I got told I was moving to 13, I had two days' notice. It was after the big session, so then had captains run there and played. After the first week, I thought, oh, I might get moved back to half. But then I got told that was me. We see you as a lock. And then I had another year after that, and I got told, like, we're well, going to be playing 13 next year regardless. We don't really care what you kind of say. And... I was, look, people will, will say you're lying, but I'm not. Like, I was actually all right playing 13, like, in terms of if this is best for the side and we're going to win games, and look, we should have beat the Cowboys. We had that game, like, the robbery game <laughs> yeah. that James Graham, we need to play the clip of him commentating that. That was so funny, man. <laughs> um, and then we beat the Broncos at Brizzy when they were flying. And, mm. like, I thought I was actually playing real good footy there, like, my numbers were good. I was playing 80 in the middle. Like, I was taking – although they weren't great hit-ups, I was taking <laughs> hit-ups, getting folded by blokes like Payne and that, which wasn't very fun. Um, but I thought my link play through the middle, I was like, oh, this is actually working, you know. But yeah. I still saw myself as a half. And as you said, I think uh, looking back on it, it was a test of like, is this bloke going to be like what he was before? Like, mm. is he going to give us a reason to to piss him off? Or is he going to give us a reason to say, I told you so? And I didn't want to give him anyone that reason, but – Ultimately, I was getting ready to go back to pre-season training and then all these things on Twitter and Facebook and all that was getting sent to me and I was like, what the hell? Like all the, and I thought, not again. Like this can't be happening to me again. I've had this clear run of four years over in the UK, played some of the best footy you can play, come back, bust a mass all year for the Tigers, played six, played seven, played a bit of nine when I had to. Now I'm playing 80 minutes at 13, five games in a row. We're winning games. Coming back in the preseason, I was like, I'm going to do a preseason at 13. I'm going to put on a bit of weight. I'm going to lose a bit of fat. I'm going to dive into playing lock forward. And then all this shit started coming out about me again. I was like, right, I've got to deal with this properly. Like, don't, don't spit, don't spit the dummy. Don't throw the toys out the pram. And I just had to wear it again. And I had to accept some things that weren't true. And ultimately, um, yeah, got told that they didn't want me. So, so they just sat you down and said, no, I didn't get sat down. No, I just. I found so there was an article saying that someone didn't want to play with me, um, and then there was another article saying that I didn't sign a form or I was hard to coach um, and something like that. And then my manager rang me and was saying like, "Oh, look, they're they're happy for you to go look elsewhere." So I was like, "Oh, I don't really want to leave. Like, I don't mm. want to bounce around clubs. Like, this is a club that I want to yeah. play the rest of my career at. I want to take these guys to the finals. I want to win here." And then Newcastle got wind of it and they were obviously looking for a halfback for a long period of time and um, I went up and um, when I was allowed to go meet other clubs, I went up and met Newcastle. I met Peter Parr who, who sat me down and I went met him and Adam and they gave me a pretty good grilling. They mm. wanted to know why a few things happened in my life, which is, yeah. which is more than fair. And I was brutally honest with them and I think they could see how much passion I had for, for footy, but they could see how open I was and... You know, I left nothing within. I just said everything. I was honest about all my troubles that I've had. I was honest about myself, how I, how I am mentally, um, what I'd done at other clubs, why I was a certain way. And I think they just really appreciated my honesty. And mm. then without even getting halfway home, Adam rang me and said, I want to, I want to get a deal done. I want you here yeah, to play right. halfback for the Newcastle Knights. And I had to go home and think about it. And um, I had a night of thinking about it, spoke to my family, spoke to my management, spoke to the Tigers, and then... Four days later, I was moving up to the to the Hunter and, um, yeah, I'd signed with the Knights and it turned out to be a great move for me. So, because the tough thing for you is when anything goes wrong on a footy field, you have that 
shadow of your past of like oh he that's you know yeah. for example the tommy to situation yep. you accidentally had high him then after the game so the assumption is oh clearly they didn't get along yep. but what's what's the truth in that situation yeah tommy's a great lad and look i've said this i said this a moment i walked off the field and done an interview after the game i didn't realize i got him high like i he's going to score a try i'm going to stop the ball i hit him in the nose and it was a bad nose break mate it actually he was out for, I think, four or five weeks. He had trouble breathing. So, like, if I was in his shoes, I'd be filthy as well. Mm. He obviously regrets what happened after the game. He reached out and messaged me and said sorry, but I also reached out and apologised. And all I was doing was walking up to him. And I didn't know Fox were going to video me yeah, walking yeah. up to him yeah. to apologise. Like, I'm I'm so angry that that got filmed, not only for me, but for Tommy. And I'm also angry for, for Clem because yeah. all Clem was doing was sticking up for, for a teammate. Yeah, mate, for he, sure. did, he didn't know what had happened or yeah. what had been said. All I was doing was apologise and all Tommy was doing was reacting to how he felt at the time. So it was, just, nose broken. it was just a recipe for disaster. And then yeah. I'm just filthy that Fox caught that on camera. It's not their fault. They've got a job to, to film everything, but it just got blown out of proportion. Like some of the views and some of the vile comments on that, like, towards me but like towards Tommy it was just like mate this is this is bullshit like what they're saying it was like character assassination over an incident that was just so raw and yeah. a young fellow just broken his nose lost the game got HIA was getting an operation then for me I was playing against my old team mm. at a ground that I love playing at in front of fans that I loved I was getting booed all game um, we had a player sent off we had two head knocks to our captains like it was just a wild wild scenario and then on the bus on the way home I was thinking far out like uh, this is going to be a story written all about me. And then for the next week, it was just Jackson Hastings, Tommy Talao. And then to Tommy's credit, this is how good of a bloke he is. He reached out to me first and mm. just wanted to apologise. And, and then ultimately I got to obviously say sorry for head high on him. And then I wished him luck for the rest of the year. Because oh, when I was at the Tigers, Tommy was going through an ACL. And, I was going to um, say for, for the listeners, to put it in context, Tommy Talao struggled with injury. Yeah. So he's filthy that yeah. like... Oh, um, now miss more fucking footy. Yeah, so yeah. that's what makes him so angry. Oh, 100 percent. And I knew that straight yeah. away. I knew that when he went off the HIA, and I, and I was shaking my head because it was obviously an accident. And then um, I watched how hard he rehabbed back from his ACL, and I was in the gym with him a lot, mm. um, looking after my own injuries. And he's a real good kid and works real hard. And and someone off got a really good relationship with. If he needed me, I'd always be there for him. So for that to happen was was obviously shit. And mm. to get caught on camera was bad, but. He reached out and sent me a lovely message. I sent him one back. And, um, yeah, I'm glad that we can still be mates and, mm. and, and get past it because sometimes when the media get hold of a story like that, they try and turn people against each other. Yeah. Like they tried to to make Clem the bad guy by supporting his teammate. And yeah, look, although cool. although I didn't think he needed to get involved, I'm – not, I've got no issues with him defending a teammate yeah. at the same time. It's kind of his of, role in the team. Exactly. He's big, to be big, tough prop yeah, defending yeah. him and – um, when he walked you, I've heard you can throw him, bro. So maybe he needed to jump in. <laughs> this guy, just, that's what I've heard. <laughs> this guy, this guy trying to start clickbait. <laughs> I come on, bloke in the bar to, to put a nice story out. He's saying I can fight, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna have DMs off um, off the Rose Boys trying to get me in the ring. But um, nah, look, I um, I carry on a bit on the field. I, I definitely can't throw him soft as anything. But I'm a mad scrapper, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, nah, he sent me a real nice message, and um, we moved past it too. So I'm grateful yep. for that. Yeah, it's it's it sucks how like you get this thirty second little clip, and like for example, Clem, he's the nicest bloke ever. Yeah. Everyone that I've spoken to that's dealt with Clem is like, mate, he's a fucking legend, like yeah. absolute legend. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, obviously you're coming to the New Knights. Just quickly before we wrap up, what's it like wearing? And I know that you know you don't like that added pressure or whatever, but 
you're wearing the seven jersey for the Newcastle Knights, and he would have been down at training, I'm assuming. Yeah. Kind of oh, I remember you. the first day I got there, I'd done an interview with him, and they're like, oh, you know, we've had X amount of halfbacks since Joey retired, and I thought, geez, way to put the way to put the curse on me straight away. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, like playing halfback in any team, I suppose, like if you play halfback at the Cowboys, for example, you've got to live yeah. up to JT in Melbourne, it's Cooper. So it's just another legend or all immortal to live up to, and um, I've always been someone that loves a challenge. I, I didn't want to run away from that. I wanted to run into that. That's half the reason why I jumped at signing there and they told me they wanted me to play halfback. I'm like, you either take that as a challenge and like unlivable expectations to, to try and reach the heights and goals that Joey reached or you meet it head on and try and be the best version of yourself and whatever comes of that comes of that. So I remember my first training session. I'd worked with Joey before at the Roosters when he was there, but I just walked down the field and he just goes, right, we're going to work. When we get to this part of the field, you're going to do this, 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 this. When we get down here, you're going to do this, 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 this. So, yeah, no, nah, he's been a great supporter of mine. And, you know, before every – or before most games, especially a big game, he'll send me a nice long text on mm. just supporting me and, and giving me some advice and some tips on what I can and can't do. And yeah. um, he'll ring me post-game and be like, you've done this really well. I'm proud of you. You played mm. really good. Or, you know, you played well, but I think you can do this. He um, – you know, he has to be subjective in the media too. He can't just say the Knights are the best team in the For world. Sure. And I think he does a pretty good job at like making sure he knocks us down a peg when we need it because hearing that from someone that's done everything in the game for this club, bled, broke bones, mm. broke his neck for our club essentially, you know. Yeah. So to hear him talk about like that in the media personally makes me want to play really good the next week because yeah. you don't want to let our legends down and, um, yeah. yeah, get to play halfback for the Knights, which is crazy. I actually – have got a couple of Knights jerseys at home at my mum's. I'm going to go get them actually with seven on the back. I'm going to take them up to the Hunter to get Joey to sign and get them all framed up. And then hopefully um, one day I can put my seven next to Joey's seven and um, yeah, have a story to tell my kids. So is like, what's an insight you can give to his genius on a footy field that, you know, can give people an insight as to what he, I guess, the, the, the old age old saying is never meet your heroes because they'll let you down or whatever, but. I reckon Joey on a footy field, it, it lives up to expectation. Well, firstly, I think we're wide the same mentally. We're both like full on moon-wise now. So like to have to have that connection with someone that's on the same wavelength with you is initially really cool. And then you can never like, so he'll go, right, oh boys, we're doing this drill. Put a pole there, will you? Put a pole there. Betsy, Betsy. He always, <laughs> Betsy's the nicest bloke in the world. Joey just like goes, Betsy, fucking here, will you? Whips your ball, he goes, just stand over there on that pole. I want you to show in, look forward, and just go boom. And he throws his no look pass and hits his pole, and he's like, right, oh, no, your turn. And you go, show in, no look pass, throw it 15 metres behind the pole. He's like, shit, do it again. And then you're just like, you can't live up to what you can do, bro. Yeah, like, Joey, bro. I'm not Joey. He'll do weird shit. Like, he'll take his shoes off, he'll walk on the field, and he'll go 40 metres out, he'll go, ah, crossbar. And he'll just put a bomb up and he'll hit the crossbar. He goes, ah, well, that's why they call me the eighth. <laughs> he'll just walk around and, um, but yeah, he's just cool to have around the club. Like he he brings such a cool energy. And as I said, we've got Bedsy that's there twenty four seven. He does a lot of like the welfare stuff, the the leadership stuff. Like real quietly spoken, humble guy. Yeah. Um, great human, obviously. But then you got Joey, who's just like loud, brash, and yeah. he brings the energy to the session right up. So I love having him there, eh? Yeah. Um, mate, ask all the boys this favorite rapper of all time. Oh, Drake. Drake's easily my favorite rapper. Some people say he's not a rapper, but um. Did you like yeah. his latest album? You know, I like about four or five songs on there. I play on repeat, um, but I don't like all of them. I love when Drake. Um, you know, my favorite style of Drake is when he tries to act like he's a 
like an Englishman, like English grime. Oh, he tries to rap, gr- yeah, drill, he tries drill to, music. Yeah, he tries to rap like a driller. So that that's my favourite. Um, okay, kind of Drake. And now I'm surrounded by pommies at the nights. That, um, yeah, they they've got all the drill coming out. Yep, mate. Uh, favorite movie of all time. Favorite movie of all time. Oh, jeez. Probably the gentleman. Yeah, it's a great. Matty McConaughey. Yeah, yeah, that's um. My missus actually one night on the Goldie, we went to the Goldie and we were just laying in bed, we'll sunburn as anything, and she said, "You sunburned? That's great. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, man. <laughs> he, uh, she, I'm um, sorry, he. She, um, she goes, oh, you'll love this movie, and I don't usually watch anything unless it's sport related. And I go, oh, whatever, put it on. And after five minutes, I was hooked. So, yeah, Matty McConaughey kills it. He's sick. Colin Farrell's in that one too, is he? Yep, yep. The hey. gentleman's sick movie, bro. Sick, sick movie, mate. Thank you so much for coming on, brother. What an incredible story, and you know what? I bet you there's so much more to it. Um, I'll be watching you. Very, very closely this year and good luck. I appreciate you, bro. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you.